freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, America. Hello, Coleman Nation subscribers, viewers, guests, interlopers. This, this is beyond anything that could possibly have been hoped for. It is the it is the culmination live stream with the vaudeville reunion of Dave, Jeff, and Ron. Thank Straight you all from for the Catskills. Oh yeah. Thank you all for coming. We're gonna please don't ask us to do the old routines. That's the only thing we ask. This is where this is a new. It's all new material. It's all new material. <laughs> material. <laughs> All right, so that's how it's, that's, this is how it's going to be. We had a little bit of an, of an argument, of course, right before we started. Because everyone, I, I'm, I'm just going to assume that anyone who knows who I am, knows who Dave Reboy is and who Jeff Balaban is, all you have to do is click the names, right? And then, you you know, that's the beauty part of how this stuff works. Uh, it occurred to me before we started that based on, what's hot in the news that comes through my feed these days and based on stuff that I see Jeff has gotten himself a little bit involved in and not much more than that because I'm not so sure that this is a big Dave issue but I think he does have an opinion in the category of not quite having an opinion what's all this I hear about BDS and Ben and Jerry's and the First Amendment. In fact, I I was seeing Jeff, uh, uh, not Jeff, um, Glenn Greenwald having a, a major meltdown because well, it doesn't take much. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it doesn't take much. This is a particular issue for Glenn, and 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 yeah. I like Glenn. Glenn has great takes in many ways, but the guy definitely has has a twenty year history or more of uh, kind of public. Um, Israel fixation and that Israel fixation today has now expanded and metastasized. Now he's got a Saudi Arabia and Egypt um, fixation, right? Um, so, which so is the, really weird. Like, like he's like Cairo and Riyadh, Cairo and Riyadh, and and I challenged him on it. We went back and forth. I mean, ah. like, you can't actually think that um, that uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt is worse than Pakistan and Iran. Anybody who by any measure normalize with the Jewish state is uh, is is a target now in a, in a certain political mind. Yes, but yes, especially yes. but but he's upset. This has been a long time obsession right. of his. I agree, and I and I stayed very far away from him for a very long time. Not because I'm not because I view all things through the lens of whether or not someone supports Israel, as as Jeff has pointed out. That's a complicated. That's a complicated issue for, for, for Jews and for Orthodox Jews uh, with any kind of, you know, head on their shoulders. But when you see someone who is obsessed with an issue and, and, and can always be counted on to come out against, regardless of what the controversy might be, that tells you that someone's got a problem. Nonetheless, the issue is a fair one. Some people have asked me to comment on it, and I didn't feel all that qualified, partially because from the, from the point of view is, is there some kind of problem with these BDS, these anti-BDS statutes and not, not being intimately familiar with what they do and say, I wouldn't want to answer, and I wasn't in a position to answer, whether they are their First Amendment viewpoint, um, non-viewpoint neutral thing or whether they just have to do with city contracts or state contracts. Jeff, do you know more about this than I do? I think you do. Uh, I think I know a little more about this than you do. So here's the way the laws have been drafted, and there are laws that were passed. I think now it's 33 states, so a solid majority of the states. And actually, yesterday, I took 
part uh, in my local town passed, I think the first municipal uh, anti-BDS law back in 2016, and I was involved in that. And yesterday they, um, they called together the uh, town officials and they announced that they were gonna boycott not just Ben and Jerry's, but uh, Unilever. Now, the, um, in response to Ben and Jerry's announcement that they, weren't gonna, that they were gonna boycott uh, Israel, which is a shorthand thing to say, it's more complicated than that. But what's interesting is that, uh, and I, now it shouldn't matter that it's a town, but I'll just plug the town. It's the town of Hempstead, Long Island, which is bigger than five states. I mean, it's, it's hugely populous. It's the biggest town in America. And uh, it's the biggest town in America, meaning yeah. it's not a city. It's not a city. It's, it's a town. It's, a town. Uh -huh. it's, it's got about 800,000 residents, which puts it bigger than about five or six U.S. states. Hmm. So it's not insignificant. And uh, it was funny. One of the one of the reporters challenging the town supervisor uh, said, are you saying that you're going to tell all the local supermarkets not to carry all Unilever products, including Hellman's and Lipton and Briars also. And he said, you know, I didn't even thought of that, but sometimes the best ideas come from residents. That's what we're going to do. And she said, I'm not a resident. She was a, she was an ABC reporter, but, uh, but um, so let's talk about what this actually means. There are people who are concerned about the first amendment and the ACLU uh, has led a charge against these anti BDS laws. Now, the ACLU, the ACLU's position on its face is absurd when you compare it to its stance on, for example, uh, what to do about uh, bakeries that don't want to bake cakes that they like, okay? So they, they, they flip-flop based on the issue that they like. So the, the problem when it comes to the BDS situation is it's, it's, not, it's actually not a constitutional issue because there's, there's nothing about these statutes well, I shouldn't speak for all 33. There's nothing about the ones that were drafted correctly uh, that, that says that it punishes in any way somebody's speech or right to boycott or right to say, forget about boycotting Israeli policies. I hate Jews. I hate Israel. They're allowed to do that all day long and nothing stops them. What this case does, it says that just like, and this is the, the Supreme Court has held constitutional, the ability for states to have fair business practices, including anti-discrimination rules, if your boycott or other uh, program against Israel goes over the line into discrimination, then the state can say, we're not gonna conduct business with you. That's, that happens all day long. Uh, the states, states routinely say they have laws passed uh, and, and, and localities of regulations about not doing business with a Nazi group, okay? Uh, right. or with anyone who discriminates. So that's essentially, this, these BDS legislations, anti-BDS legislations are mirror those rulings and that law to say that it only affects discrimination in commerce, discriminatory commercial product, or conduct rather. The problem is that people use the word boycott and the word boycott sounds like free speech and so it gets roped into that. But really it's just very limited. It's, it is a narrow thing. The state saying we will not do business. We will not contract with someone who's violating our anti-discrimination laws. The obverse of that, right, it, it would be to say a state is forced to do business with, and that's definitely not the case. States, we already know that Supreme Court has ruled, uh, it's NAACP v. Claiborne, I think, that um, the state has the right to, uh, to regulate economic activity, but you can't completely prohibit nonviolent, politically motivated boycotts. That's not what's happening here. Hope that's, hope that makes that's sense. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty good. That helps me. And, you know, Dave, before we went on, made a, a really important point, which I'm going to ask him to repeat here, because it actually comports with my spidey sense on how I've been doing the, dealing with this on social media. I've been getting tons of retweet requests in my DMs regarding every little thing having to do with this Ben and Jerry stuff, which... I get it from Jeff. I know that it's carefully curated, but not everyone. This isn't the main issue, but the freaking Ben and Jerry's ice cream and the Jews is not the, the main issue on everybody's mind in America. And there's an extent, you know, and, and some of my friends, some of my Jewish activist friends are positively frantic about it. And I understand that they feel that 
you can't legitimize that. You know, for a business and a brand as big as Ben and Jerry's to legitimize this kind of discrimination, which has it in it, BDS is an anti-Semitic concept. So I get that, but you also have to be sensitive to what the rest, you know, to Americans who are generally supportive of Israel, what they think in terms of priorities. Can I jump in here for a second? I'm going no, to say something. No, you so can actually not jump in. This is that was all the setup. That was for the you. setup. That was the setup. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that may piss people off, but I don't think I don't think so. If you if you kind of um, anyway, uh, I think we you know let's say the three of us all kind of live in a bubble, and we all live. That's going to be a pretty big bubble. Yeah. No, no. I mean, we all we all live in bubbles on social media, you know, to, to some extent. So, of course, what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of the activist um, uh, pro-Israel um, Jewish folks who are who are saying who are kind of saying this. Now, we are in that thing. That's what we see. If we think, hey, maybe they're making too much of, you know, one issue or the other, you know, uh, not even Ben and Jerry's, but, you know, more broadly. Um, that's something that we see because we are sort of in it. Um, I think if we would be in a black bubble or a gay bubble or a Latino bubble or, 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 uh, or, or what have you, you know, a, um, whatever, indigenous persons, I mean, you know, whatever you, whatever you think of, you will see a lot of the folks in activism pushing a bunch of things that we, you know, we, you know, who are kind of, let's say um, more generalist oriented would think are, um, are maybe small fry or small potatoes. Um, and- Politics itself is a bubble. I mean, I'm sure most right. of it is more about, you know, sports and music. Right, yeah, yeah, of, of course. And, um, and what, what ends up happening, I think, or what it did end up happening is that, um, is that you had, I mean, I'm not, not even sure where it started, but, but you had the, the uh, kind of, you know, creation of these, um, I don't know, I want to say like pressure groups, not even pressure groups, but pressure communities um, who are just kind of obsessed with their issue in particular. And they just, they just keep pushing it. And, um, and, you know, you have a lot of that. And when you're in it, or when you're surrounded by it, you tend to see, you tend to you know, you tend to see something else. Um, you tend to see, you know, this kind of thing. It, it, it comes out in a, in a kaleidoscopic way. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if, you know, I know, you know, Ron, you get some, some you know, retweet requests about this kind of stuff. And, and, and I do too, um, on one issue or the other. I mean, it doesn't stop. You have, you have a lot of people who are organized you know, in this community and in other communities, and you know, God bless them. They, 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 uh, they, they believe in something. They want something. But if you kind of step outside of it, you have, you know, you, you, you uh, it, it kind of takes on a different flavor. Now, now the um, the thing that's kind of not so good is that when you have a lot of folks who are concerned, let's say in this case. I mean, by no means is it exclusive to people in the pro-Israel community, but when you have a bunch of folks who are, you know, who, who spend their time as like, this is my most important issue, I'm going to talk about this, then it looks from the outside like they um, really don't care about anything else. And it, 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 it's got a kind of optics issue. Well, I mean, I, let's put, are we getting to the, door, the dual loyalty or lack of loyalty issue? Um, no, I mean, it's not... Um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, that's how it comes across sometimes. That's certainly how it, that's certainly how it comes across sometimes. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, uh, it's necessarily legitimate, but it's, you know, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of folks certainly do no favors when it comes to, to that. I, I couldn't those agree more. Actually, I couldn't be more, you know, I, I, my first political life was really in policy on the Hill and it was only years later I got sucked into political campaigning issues. And, you know, my set of professional experiences and expertises have to do with messaging, law, whatever. You know, all of a sudden, well, I'm the guy with the amica, so let's throw the Jewish questions or the Israel questions to him, right? 
And it was a very hard decision to accept those. And I did it because I was in a place where there was no one else who even knew what the heck they were talking about. So I had to do it. But once that happened, you know, it was, that was it. Uh, you know, like, oh, well, you're going to be the Jewish guy. You're going to be the Jewish expert. And by the way, this is a little bit amusing, I guess. But um, a couple of years ago on Christmas Eve, I was in the Fox Green Room because let's face it, who else is going to be in the Fox Green Room on Christmas Eve? Besides, right? <laughs> right, right. So, so, so I was there for a series of like, there were like three different shows that I had to be on over, spread out over a couple of hours. And it was just a skeleton crew. There was no one. There was one woman who was there was like the, you know, the greeter who was with me in, in, I, you know, did a couple of hits, but basically I spent almost two hours in that room with her and one or two other people would come in or out. And one of those other guys happened to wear a yarmulke. And at the end, I asked her a question. She gave me an answer that made no sense. And I realized she thought I was the other guy with the yarmulke. And, and this guy didn't have a beard, wasn't wearing glasses. Okay. I said, I'm sorry, <laughs> do we just all look alike to you? Which is which was intended to be kind of a joke because, you know, she was African-American and she reacted to it. I said, no, no, honestly, this happens to me all the time in Washington. People constantly mistake for some other guy with a yarmulke who I don't think looks like me at all. But, one, you know, it's just the way people just do a shorthand and they, they, that's the recollection if they don't know you. So unfortunately, there's, there's, there was a lot of that. But, but I want to actually challenge your point of view in just a little bit, which is, I hate the idea that this issue is seen as an issue that's owned by Jews. Okay, this is, this is, this is an American foreign policy issue. Okay, now it's an American domestic policy issue relating to the treatment of Jews, so that should be a concern about Jews. But I hate the idea that the foreign policy issue is treated as though it's a Jewish issue. And, and on, on all sides, I hate the idea that Jews suggest they have a right to, to speak out more about it because they're Jewish, they don't. Or the people who, you know, who somehow infer that we have some expertise if we don't, or have some responsibility for a decision made by a foreign government, which we don't. I can't tell you how many politicians of both parties have said your government when they're talking about Israel. <laughs> I'm an American. I've never been an Israeli. And I always say, you're my government, guys. Stop it. But, but we can say it all we want. That's just the perception. But, you know... Crowdhammer in, I think in his book, um, Things That Matter, I think that was the name of it. So I'm not a huge fan of reading books like that in general of anybody's, but I decided once that I thought about writing, I, I thought he's a good writer, let me, let me read what he writes. And he writes a very important thing in his introduction. He writes, I wanted to write this book about everything besides politics. I wanted to write about music, art, chess, sports, everything I love, okay? Psychology, whatever, everything I love, and yet, it ended up being the bulk of this is about politics because try as I might, the truth is all those things I want to get to in life, I can't get to if our system is collapsing. These things take precedence. And I will say that the same way Washington is downstream from culture on a lot of issues that concern all of us that have nothing to do uniquely with Jews or Israel, um, that a culture starts normalizing a certain perception or certain discourse about Jews is something which is a warning signal, not just for us, but for the culture. And that's historically always been true. And I genuinely think it's true in America today. And, and I wish this were a bigger issue for more people. Um, and, I, and I don't, and I think if it's in a bubble, it shouldn't be in a bubble. Very interesting. That, that, that's, you know, that's a, that's a, it's a very, it's a very nuanced perspective because I still think the, you know, to, so to some extent, Dave is saying the optics are not so great if, and you're saying that's the problem. That's exactly the problem is that we're, we're allowing ourselves to be boxed in by optics or by, you know, by, by a, by, a, again, boxed in by, by, by expectations about what, what certain tweets or what certain certain positions mean for us that wouldn't apply to other interest groups, right? Anyway, all right. Well, that I think is. I, listen, I, I think a lot of that, that uh, quite a few people are interested in this, but not as I felt. I felt we had to do it some justice because I know that you know. I actually before Dave came on. 
to, to join the group that it was probably going to be a um, something that you and I would want to talk about. And, and Dave actually said, I don't have an opinion and here's what it is. Right. Well, look, look, I mean, I don't think I don't think these I don't think these laws are necessarily bad. I mean, we should start. Uh, I think conservatives should start um, uh, should start playing by these rules. I mean, let's let, let's let's have it. You know, let's have, um, you know, if you're a woke um, corporation that, you know, um, that, for example, uses, uh, you know, CRT um, as as um, as kind of HR policy. OK you're not doing business with the state of Texas or Florida. I mean, I don't see why that should be a problem. Oh, I, I agree with that, but I will say, so now I'm gonna take the flip side because, hey, that's what I do. Sure. Um, <laughs> I was not in love, even though I was involved in the passage of these laws, my focus was on making sure that if they were going to do it anyway, they do it constitutionally, all right? But I'm not in love. You're the, last, you're the last man in America that cares about that stuff. <laughs> but, well, the, the, yeah, well, the thing that, that, that bothers me about the whole idea of legislating it, and, and the legislators wanted to legislate this. I mean, it's not as though we have to persuade them. They were raring to go, okay? Um, and that's the thing. Outside our bubble, the reality is this does concern millions and millions of people who care about the way Jews are treated, and it, it, it's, a, it's a marker for them about, their, about our civilization. It's a true marker for literally millions of people who are not Jews in this country. And, and a lot of them are in the state legislatures. And so in consulting with them, my first argument was, I'd rather you not pass a law about this. Because in my view, once something is legislated or litigated, I mean, we're about, we just saw, you know, Mississippi is now going after Roe versus Wade. That's, that's fine. The problem with Roe versus Wade was once they jumped over the cultural decision-making process, right? It became endlessly uh, a, a, a armed combat, and no position was considered too extreme. And my problem with this is that when it comes to anti-Semitism, you know, abortion went from safe, legal, and rare to you should have, you should get pregnant in order to abort, and that's virtue signaling. So that's the thing about anti-Semitism. It's going to go from, oh, no, 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 we don't like Israel, but we're not anti-Semitic, to, heck, yes, we're anti-Semites, because once the government starts telling you you can't be something, then millions of Americans will want to be that thing. And so I don't love this at all, but this is where we are. I, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Uh-oh. We agree. Yeah. Three Jews, one opinion. Never happened. It happens Maybe. here. Maybe yeah. maybe we should just, well, not only that, just three Jews, one face. You know how I many tweets? I, I, this is now, I'm reinforcing this, and it's funny because this is a great lesson in pattern recognition because nobody in any one of, who knows any one of us or both of us, we don't look alike at all to each other at all, at all. That's right, but, Dave, you don't look at all it, like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember my, my college roommate went to China after, after we graduated, and, and he said, you know, once you spend time in China, all Chinese don't look alike to you at all because you start to see lots and lots of Chinese. I do think, however, people have been seeing Jews with beards <laughs> for a while. Of course, Reboy's hardly even, I mean, what do you call that, man? This is not a beard. This is not a beard. This is just this is just it gets more gray. It's got I mean in the last year, man, it got it just it's white now, and oh, um, and it's yeah it's it's uh, my, my mom thinks that I look like a uh, like a, a homeless derelict. Well, at Thanks, least mom. you know she she she's saying it out of love. You know that, <laughs> of course. Dave, what's late republic nonsense? I'm seeing you that you're stripping that into your title. I'm I'm, I'm stripping it into everything. Yeah, it's, it's my new. It's because it's my new. Um, it's my new Substack, which is um, which is where I'm doing uh, a bunch of different things. Doing some writing, um, doing some uh, some podcast audio and video conversations. Going to be doing some you know other fun stuff soon that I've been that I've been uh, working on. Doing a uh, a cooking video with Michael Anton, which is going to be the next thing. Um, what, what, thanks yeah. to late republic nonsense dave i actually went back and watched alien alien without audio 
Oh, no kidding. No, because I decided I want because of Amanda's comment. Because Amanda, right? Yeah, and I said, you know, that's fascinating. And and I always liked Geiger, and I always liked the. I was obsessed by his art, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it's true. Uh, but I wanted to see the movie itself, and from the opening of it, without audio, it's spectacular. Wow. Okay, I'm going to try that. Now, what did you have on, what did you do for audio? Did you sit in silence? I listened to Ron. You, you, you did what? No, I, was, I, I, I did other stuff, so I, I wasn't obsessively watching it all the time. It was okay. like on the screen, on a big screen in front of me, right. while I was doing things. I, and it, you know, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if someone should sit there for two hours and just absorb it that way right but it's definitely worth trying just start at the beginning and spend huh. a few minutes watching it it's magnificent what are you guys talking about what are you talking well, about, we're talking, <laughs> about like, we're talking about reboy being the new cultural mandarin i guess oh so yeah. that's that would be I, an example of late podcast, nonsense i, I guess. did a i did a podcast with uh with amanda milius and she mentioned um uh, how much she loves alien uh the the film just visually and uh you know jeff went and and he um I guess he 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 decided to to watch it with no sound. Oh, to see to test the visually hypothesis. Just look at the right, and uh, and that's which is a what great a lot idea. of people will be watching this pod this video by the Without way sound. for years to come, <laughs> entirely for the visual. Part. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, yeah. So so uh, so I'm uh, I'm also excited. I did a great one with uh, Walter Kern, the uh, the novelist and uh, and uh, and the writer, uh, which was great. Which is probably going to come out later today. Wait, so um, it's a Substack, and and it's a podcast. It's a Substack. It's a podcast. It's a floor. It's, it's a floor wax. It's a floor wax. It's you know. I mean, we'll uh, we'll uh, you know we'll shine your shoes. All of it, and um, and really, I wanted to I wanted to do something that is interdisciplinary, and not be tied to sort of the same thing all the time. And I didn't hold on want, a second. Let's I didn't take want a to step do politics back. all the time. Okay. What? Let's face it, Dave. No one knows what you really do. I mean, you say interdisciplinary, but what's like? What is the discipline? You're what's right. the discipline that you want to distinguish yourself from? You're like professional Dave Reboy, right? Well, look, I mean, that's a which I guess good... we all are in our own way as well, especially since we all have the same face. But right, right, no, but that's a pretty good. I mean, that's not a bad, you know, m- mystique. So you know, nobody knows what he does. You as know, long as you can cer- pay the rent, certainly, not, certainly not. You know, on a uh, you know a trust fund kit. Um, <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, what do I do? I, I I've worked in comms for for almost almost uh, you know twenty years here. You just said a word. Yes. Comms. Yeah. That means strategic like, communications. Correct. Corporate and strategic communications. So you and Jeff actually are, have very very similar backgrounds. And no one knows what I do either, which is exactly perfect. Right. No, no. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I mean, right now, right now, I'm uh, uh, right now. I have uh, I have a couple of little contracts, and 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 uh, you know, ranging from you know little and big, and and uh, and uh, you know, I mean, I only I only take gigs that I believe in, which um, maybe be maybe is a little uh, is a little foolish of me on the on the business end, but I just couldn't live with myself if I. Uh, if I if I helped out folks that I didn't like or that uh, you know I thought were doing damage to the country or or something else, yeah. We're, in this regard, we do look, we look the same. Also, the yeah, three we, of us, yeah, we all we all have made that choice in life. I think. Um, How much easier would it have been? You know, it would yeah. have been it would have been a lot easier. Um, you know, and and you know maybe smarter. You know Who what? knows? You say easier, but it, it's legitimately you get to a point where you realize you just can't do it. You know, it's, it's simply not tenable. It's not. It's, it's not even a choice. At some point, it's it's a choice between living with yourself and feeling sick. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's like and once you've been doing it for a while, for example, I mean, I've spent you know whatever more than more than a decade dealing with Muslim Brotherhood um, and and Islamist stuff, kind of from a doctrinal and organizational perspective. And it's like, okay, this is what I do. Um, you know, if, if someone wants to, um, you know, enlist my, you know, if someone wants my help on a project where we're going to be talking about this, then yeah, of course, you know, I'll come in and I'll, and I'll you know, and I'll, I'll do my thing. Um, and um, which is how the, the kind of the Qatar focus came about. You know, I mean, I, I, I really, I mean, I, I've, you know, Qatar for me is not the main um, attraction. The main attraction is the, uh, is the fact that, you know, you've got a, a very small, very r- wealthy country 
that is, um, you know, with petrodollars fueling uh, Muslim Brotherhood uh, organization and doctrine. And uh, that's the interesting part to me. So, so, so that's why I, I got into Qatar. And, and, and uh, are we the only guys who say Qatar? Because I'm always hearing Americans. Cutter? I mean, Cutter. Like, like the I, stuff you I spray say on Qatar. your arms. I mean, at, at the end, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, our, our friend Jordan Schechtel says gutter just to piss them off, <laughs> um, which is, you know, which is, uh, which is, which is not bad. But Shackle? I just, I, I just, yeah. I just say uh, I just say Qatar because it's it's you know it's easy and anyone can say it and uh, and it's not incorrect. I have no opinion. <laughs> but anyway, I would encourage you to subscribe to uh, Late Republic Nonsense because it's it's uh, it's there's going to be some really really fun stuff um, happening so how there. Does some, and, wait, wait, yeah. How does some, how does someone do that? How would they find? How does someone they, do that? You if they Google it, will they find it? Yeah, if you go to DaveReboy.com, you will uh, you will see the first link is to uh, is to that Substack, or you go to DaveReboy.substack.com, you'll get it there, um, and um, or or just go to my Twitter and you'll see it's the first um, it's it's the first the first link, and um, yeah, I, I mean, recommended for the same reason that we start it, it's you know part of the same discussion at the beginning, which is we interact sometimes with the public more, you know, along these lines of what we're expected to interact, but our lives are much richer and fuller than that. And there are other things we'd rather be spending on. Frankly, people like us who do what we believe in, sometimes it's because we've got something that's like, oh my God, this is a disaster. I think I could do something about it. So I step into the breach. Right, like who else is gonna do it? Right, yeah. and there are a million other things I'd actually rather be doing. And so, you know, People constantly come up to me to talk about politics. I don't care about politics at all. I don't pay attention to it at all. People, like, you know, kids will come up to me asking me questions like I'm an expert. They know much more than I do about like the daily intricacies right. of that boring, ugly people soap opera that goes on in Washington. All right. I care about big picture issues and, and trends and things that are happening there. And politics sometimes become necessary. But there's so many other things I care about that I don't that, that I'd rather spend my time on when I don't have to spend my time on politics. Like what? I'll tell you, it's embarrassing. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, my <laughs> Geiger. My yeah, no, my my original my original focus is really English lit. That's really what I care huh. about, and that's what I wanted to focus on. Poetry, literature, that's what I enjoy, okay? I haven't had the time to indulge in that recently at all. Once in a while, I'll come across an author that I'll just fall in love with and obsess over and try to you know, find some free time to read it. By the way, the thing about getting a white beard is, in recent years, like very recent years, used to be I would just grab any book and start reading it and not care. All of a sudden I'm thinking, you know, you're not gonna be able to read any book before you go. Now you gotta make choices. Which is that was like the the first first intimation of mortality for me was hmm. I have to choose what I read, not just read everything that interests me that I come across. Um, and there are other things as well. But yes, Ron. I've known you for what 40, 50 years now. No, really, a hundred, a hundred. That no, long? Like, I don't think it's been forty. No, no Jeff, you know Jeff and I know each other for what from the shtetl, from the old country, <laughs> yeah. from the old country. Twenty-five years. Say, I, yeah. I did not know that you had this this interest. I mean, I know that you're you're very good with the with the words. I guess that's where you find them with the words. Yeah, well, you know, you could just get a dictionary and have no books and get all the words. It's a question of how you put them together. <laughs> <laughs> I, this just changes the whole way I see you now. So, who was the last? Who was the what was the most recent obsession? Who was the most recent? Yeah, uh, yeah, test him, test him, yeah. Dave. Um, so it's not my most recent obsession, but I'll tell you my favorite authors. I mean, yeah. hands down. Uh, and I'll turn to time again. You know, Robertson Davies, Canadian no. author. No. Okay. Robertson Davies has a series of trilogies: the Deptford trilogy, the um, the Cornish trilogy, uh, the, the Salterton trilogy, and then he has a couple of books that started into being a trilogy. He has essays. The guy, I just. I love what he writes. I can't describe exactly, uh, but he was the first since college 
Hmm. He was the first author that I read that I found myself obsessively taking notes in marginalia. Hmm. Then I'll tell you the most recent book I read that I thought was the dumbest book I've ever read in my life. And I became <laughs> obsessed by how stupid it was. Okay. I couldn't stop reading it because it was the most eye-opening glimpse into the other side. So I was, I was uh, traveling. It was going to take a long flight and uh, ran into Barnes and Noble to get something on the way. Uh, and it was a buy one, get one. So I bought what I wanted to read. And then I said, well, let me find what everybody else is reading. So I find a book and the blurbs on the cover are Bill Gates and Barack Obama. And they're saying this is the most brilliant book ever written in Western civilization. So I've got to read this book. And it's Sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Oh, okay. I've got it. I haven't read it. I think it is the dumbest book I've ever read in my life. It's extraordinary. I couldn't put it down. Because, because what, like, what, what even in the sense of like watching a car crash kind of thing, well, it's sort of like that, but it's everything that obsesses me about, about culture. You know, okay, here's the thing because I grew up from, you know, from birth in an Orthodox Jewish environment, I've always had this kind of inside outside relationship with popular culture, right? I've always felt as an outsider, but I've been fully familiar with it. And, and this is the attempt to write an entire coherent leftist narrative. This is the way the left tries to view the world. Because the, the left's narrative simply doesn't stand up to empirical reality, which is why they get so, this is my big theory, why they get so crazy, why they call uh, speech violence. Because, mm. because humans as cognitive creatures, right? That's our key element, all right? In, in rabbinic terms, Ron, that's where medaber, those that articulate abstract thoughts. Okay, which is a different category than any other creature. So we're cognitive, and whereas every other being, its existence, its, its survival mechanism is rooted in its physical survival. Um, humans clearly aren't that way. Humans make all kinds of dumb decisions that could lead out to our, to our in, you know, imminent deaths, but usually they're tied into some obsession that we have, which is a narrative. What we, what we will always survive is our cognitive narrative self. That's what our survival is linked to. And so if I tell you, by the way, I'm not Jeff anymore, I'm Jessica, and I'm a woman, you're not offended by that. You're not threatened by that. You're not hurt by that. Because nothing about me physically suggests that I'm really a woman and Jessica. The only thing I have is my narrative, and you're challenging that. You're literally trying to annihilate me. I think that's that flows down through the left's entire structure. Okay. Why is the left, so, why is that more important to I, the I left? This book is an what, why is that? Why is that connection uh -oh. between narrative and life force, or you know, the, the, and uh, that sort of prime value? Why are is that more important to some to people on the left well, than people who are not on the it's, left? It's just, what I'm saying is that the core difference is whether you are tied to empirical reality. It's why it's the same reason the left is so intolerant of dissent, right? Why do you care? Why can't we have an argument? I mean. God, you go to yeshiva and your best friend is the guy you could fight, you could beat the heck out of you intellectually and he be, he's beating the heck out of you because you learn through argument. But now argument is considered violence and, and, and you know, it's not safe spaces. Why is that? Why are people, because if my, the story I tell myself doesn't comport to outside reality and all I have is a story, then you're challenging it. You're literally trying to annihilate me. Or as opposed to, you know, the right, Okay, so you think something different than I think. All right, we'll see what's right. Right, and there is an external reality that exists that that you know is is uh, you know that um, you know that that uh, that you've got to contend with whatever your narrative is. Right. So this book, this book, I mean, I couldn't. I was obsessed over it because on almost every page, there were multiple comments that were so clearly, you know, if. if if my kid came home in fifth grade and thought this, I would, you know, I would be very upset at their schooling because it's just so illogical. Hmm. And so it doesn't comport with reality, all right? It just, it's just such, uh, it, it doesn't bother me that you have an narrative, it doesn't bother me that you have uh, a, a polemic. It, 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 it's, it's painful that it so clearly doesn't comport with reality, it self-contradicts. And they're getting I mean, I, I, Right now, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I, yeah. I I think I've I've had that experience with a with a book, but uh, but most recently, I mean, the big one was um, I have a a friend who recommended this show, 
on Amazon. It was a couple of several years ago now. I got in, in 2017, and I was um, I was sort of recuperating from a, uh, a, a an injury and a, a surgery. And she's like, "You need to see this show on Amazon. Promise me you'll give it a chance, despite its name." And I said, "Okay, why not?" And it was that the show was called "I Love Dick." I was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna." I'm going to watch the show, see, see, see what happens. The show was so bad that I could not stop watching. It was so bad. It was like, it was like, I can't believe it. This is horrible. This is, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, I had contempt for everyone who worked on the show. I had contempt for the people who were like, you know, uh, the caterers delivering the food. I thought this was just the most, it was an abomination but I watched to the end because I could, I like, could this get, could, could this possibly get worse? And unfortunately they canceled it after the first season. Um, because you know, they probably realized it had gotten at, it could not get worse. It couldn't get, yeah, it could get worse. And then it, it might it start improving and they lose their audience. Right. But it's, but it was actually, I mean, the, the premise of it was actually pretty good though. It's it, it, interestingly enough, it was a cuck story. It was a cuckold uh, story, but um but it was set in Marfa in Texas, which is the town that's really in the middle of nowhere. And you've got to go out, um, you know, several, several hours drive from anywhere. There's no airport nearby. And it's and it's a sort of uh, it's set in an artist colony. But of course, it's like very beautiful. The uh, the setting is, uh, is 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 very beautiful. But other than that, man, what a horrible show. <laughs> but I encourage you to see it because it's like, if you think it can't get that bad, it can get that bad in spades. By the oh, way, for- I'm going to now recommend to you because the two most recent books that I read that I ended up recommending to people in my inner circle, my family, my father, right? Just uh, the book Caravaggio by a guy whose last name is Har. I think it's H-A-R, uh, which is spectacular. It's, it's a true is story. Is it about that, the, pa- uh, the painter? Yeah, about a, it's a true story about a lost painting by Caravaggio, but it's it's written spectacularly well, and I just couldn't, I loved it so much. And the other book is a more popular book, which is uh, A Gentleman in Moscow, Immortal, or told, that I thought was... Uh, I'm sorry, which one was it? A Gentleman in Moscow, Immortal, T-O-W-L-E-S, um, just a beautiful, beautiful read. And, and it's what it is about putting the words together. And uh, when the when the language matches the story, I don't know how to describe it better than that. There's something it, uh, so immersive in that experience, and that's what I found with with reading this book by by Tolls. It was just an immersive, beautiful experience. Oh, it looks beautiful. A story about a man who is ordered to spend the rest of his life inside a luxury hotel. Right. Huh. Interesting. It's, it's about a Russian aristocrat, and, and during, right, during the revolution, he's, he's, that's what he's forced to do that. But it's so beautifully constructed. So, um, I, 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 anyway, those are the two most recent books that I read that I really loved. Well, I feel very left out here because I'm not someone who appreciates literature at all. In fact, I'm so against what, it. What and think about, I think it should be banned. I'm against it. <laughs> it didn't happen, right? It didn't really happen. No, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kidding. Right, right. But, but I do not really appreciate. I, I read, and I read nonfiction, and I read biographies, and uh, I wish I had I the appreciation. Book, I, I, I have the gateway drug for you. <laughs> yeah, what, and I what have, would you propose that to I me? have the gateway drug. The gateway drug is um, John Dos Passos, the man who made the nation. It is a book. I don't know if it's in print right now, but it should be. Um, Dos Passos kind of famously wrote the great American novel, uh, you know, several times in his uh, USA trilogy. He was a communist, and then he went with Hemingway to uh, to Spain and, you know, got based and <laughs> flipped around, and he helped uh, Buckley found National Review. He became yes. a, uh, an outspoken uh, right winger. Now, of course, his the process in the process of doing so, he was expunged from the literary canon. So now if you will go, you'll find that his co- early communist work is in print. It'll always be in print. But his later conservative work is gone. It's gone. It's like, maybe you know, you'll be lucky if you find it. But it's, so, but it's fiction. Either, in other words, so regardless no, of the perspective, no? So this particular book is nonfiction, but it's told in such a good way that, uh-huh. and, and it's such a good gateway to Dos Passos' style. And he's very, very 
um, uh, he's 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 dense, but he is very um, he, he's just very descriptive. He makes up his own words, and uh, and he's just a beautiful, beautiful writer. And he goes and and writes this book about uh, you know the founding of the country, and he's it's all real events. It's meticulously researched, and it's a wonderful book. And I, th- I like everybody loves this book. So so I'll keep I will definitely keep that in mind and put it on the stack. I will say to be fair to myself. I got obsessed with the Patrick O'Brien talk about, you know, I don't want to say sublime to the ridiculous, the Patrick O'Brien, Jack Aubrey novels, uh, maritime, uh, um, Royal Navy historical novels about the Napoleonic Wars. Huh. And which, which are really known for their character, for the, for the character development. And I, I really fell in love with these books and read all 20 of them during the year of COVID. Um, and, so, and my wife kept coming in and seeing me reading this. She's saying, since when do you read this kind of stuff? And uh, the answer was... Uh, since now. Since now. But, but then I went right back to another biography of Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I read this... Um, I was disappointed in this because I do I do like to open up the Will Durant set, uh, the story of civilization. But I'll never I I I don't think I've ever read any one of them in it, all at once because it strikes. I literally it's, never knew they had words. I just I just knew the, the spines were nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I I said so I got something called the greatest minds of all time and ideas of all time which is a much smaller Durant book, but it turns out to have been, it's, it's a bunch of old columns and essays of his, and he was an incredibly, it, it, talk about breadth. This guy, philosophy, art, unbe- just unbelievable. But it was put together by like an, 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 a, um, a fan, you know, the world's number one expert on Will Durant. And some of it didn't, didn't age all that well, actually, for what it's worth. Guys, with, with 15 minutes left, I want to see if, if we can maybe get that. That was an interesting. You, discur- What's that? Yeah, I, it was. A, I think it was a pretty good discursion. I, I think that we showed people that. I was going that, to say, if, if the people who watch Ron Coleman care about what Jeff Balbon reads, or do they want to hear about you know the stuff that bubble stuff. Well, but they do. They do care because because people are fascinated by Jeff Balbon and and David Reboy, <laughs> because and they want to know what makes you what makes guys like you tick. Uh, there is a sort of a theme to the podcast and this we are we are calling this a an episode of the podcast and we've to some extent addressed it where you know we have fulfilled our obligation to address it we are yotzi as we say because we we talked about about the first amendment in the be- you know and free speech in the beginning not in great depth or, uh, and uh, but we're all seeing what's going on still on social media. And I, to me, the most exciting news, uh, fascinating news of the week was that the White House's assertion of a week ago that they were now acknowledging that they were working with their partners, working with the social media platforms to choose winners and losers in the war in the um, free market of information was so over the top that even even the American Civil Liberties Union had to finally say something this week that's mind-boggling to me how could that how could that possibly have happened that the that they went you would think that everything coming out of you know, the Democratic Party, which is the White House today, would be pre-vetted and focus grouped. And here we are. They they actually stood up for a civil liberty. What do you guys think is going on? Did they misjudge uh, over in the White House? Jeff? I don't. OK. Um, Go Dave? No, Dave? 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 Jeff? Dave. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have. Um, I guess from experience, I may have a, a, a more cynical um, take on how some of this stuff happens. 
more uh, cynical than Jeff and Ron. Okay, that that's you're throwing pro- down. Probably, okay. probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just based on my experience, a lot of this stuff is 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 kind of haphazardly done often. You mean stuff like the, like with Jim Psaki? Like with, 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 yeah, with the rollouts. Now, obviously, when you know the the, the Trump uh, the Trump presidency was the apex of haphazard rollout. Um, so this is not that. Um, this is also not necessarily, you know, the the uh, you know the Iran deal. It's not necessarily uh, a, a um, sort of hyper organized layout thing. I uh, a rollout thing. I think in 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 this case, you just had them, you just had them kind of saying stuff, um, and and maybe they got ahead of things. But on the other hand, as far as the ACLU goes, like okay, they're filthy commies. Um, and, and they've been completely, um, you know, they've, they've gone completely woke in the last couple of years when it comes to, to really all of these issues and they're just, you know, naked, ridiculous partisans. Um, but so when they come out and they do something out of character, I always, I always, the first thing I always think of is maybe it's a donor. Maybe it's one stray donor who gives them, you know, 15 million a year. And they're like, you know what? We need to be responsive. Um, uh, even though our staff is against it, you know, we don't want to lose the money, blah, 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 blah. This, this is the kind of thing that happens in nonprofits all day long. That, that did occur to me. That, that yeah. angle of it did occur to me. Jeff, what do you think? You've been in, so I, yeah, I, and you, I, you know this world pretty well, too. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I'm largely in line with Dave on this. I think that... Um, it's not that there are never big conspiracies, but most things that happen that look like conspiracies are just, you know, clumsy cascades. That's really, you know, that's really what's going on. And, uh, and, and also every once in a while, there's an interest in a group in, in taking a stance here about something which is pretty straightforward and relatively easy because, you know, it, it allows them to say, what are you talking about? We obviously took a stance on this issue, so we're not totally in the tank. There's a little bit of that, but why on this issue, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it is likely a money issue. Look, these, these organizations on the right and the left, this is, this is just a criticism mm-hmm. of organizations, right? And they, they, they have their own life cycle and their own need to survive and their own, you know, we're talking about survival instincts, their own survival instincts. And so they're making decisions. You know, the, the, the other thing about the three of us, by the way, since we've chosen to lead, lead lives really based on what we believe in, and we're not really big organizational guys, you know, we're not really, and that's part of it because, because organizations uh, will constantly sub, subsume, uh, you know, decisions based on some, some, some uh, calculus about what's better for their, their, their interests. And by the way, the organizational interests really meaning the, org, the interest of the people in charge of the organization's decisions at that moment. And so usually it's something very basic, very simple, and organizations, I'm sorry to say, the, the big organizations that have lasted any period of time, it's just like in corporate America. Innovation tends not to come out of mega corporations, right? Because there are too many other stresses on their, on their continued existence. It comes out of upstarts. Big organizations, right and left, tend to be fairly predictable, fairly staid, and, and focused more or less on their budgets more than anything else. I will just say, and here I'll depart from you, from what you guys have said in, in one respect. What I noticed on Wednesday, and I noticed it even, this was a week ago Wednesday, when I, I was very cognizant of this, especially because of the, the, the O'Handley, the D.C. Drano case that we filed in California, Harmeet, Dillon, and I and our partners, in which he alleges, based on smoking gun emails, obtained by Judicial Watch, that the state of, the Secretary of State of California, in association with 22 other secretaries of state, as well as the National Association of Secretaries of State, the, were selecting tweets and social media statements by leading um, influencers like DC Drano, who has three million or so, is it two or three? I always forget. Um, followers on Instagram, and 
telling Twitter to, to ban users. Red-handed state action. That We filed that about three weeks ago now in, in the Central District of California. Psaki essentially admitted on behalf of the administration on Wednesday that the White House, which is not a party to this, to this suit, our suit, the federal government, that the White House is doing just be more or less the same thing under the banner of misinformation. If, we, if it's, we've got to save the world from misinformation. Did she mean misinformation like the Russia hoax? No. <laughs> Did she mean misinformation like any number of other things, like everything ever uttered by, you know, prominent members of certain political parties? No, she, she meant things like maybe they're, maybe you should speak to your doctor about whether the vaccine is good. You know, any, in any event, she was very, very careful in her wording and very deliberate. But after the initial firestorm on Wednesday, she came back out on Thursday and read another similar statement in response to a question. And remember, we know that these questions are pre-staged and read a, what looked to me to be an extremely well-prepared statement that someone would go to a Jeff Balaban or a David Reboy on the left to prepare. They spent at least that second night, and certainly, if not both nights, before those press conferences, deciding what they were going to announce and for a reason, which we don't necessarily know, was it because more of this stuff is going to come out and they want to get ahead of it? Is it because they think this is the moment um, of peak? What can we get away with? I don't know. But I think you I do think you're both right that probably someone who matters a lot to the ACLU said, guys, this is a line that you, you can't let cross. I, I think I do think that that's the case. And I, and I think it does tend to prove that even if there was planning on the White House level, it doesn't mean that there was a, a big Zoom call with right. all, all the better devoirs. Uh, you know, on there and the ADL and, you know, and the Rothschilds and the, you know, George Soros, all deciding, you know, what, what are we going to do to undermine democracy tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, I think right. that's right. These, I mean, these guys are, are giving it a test drive. Um, you know, they're giving tyranny a test drive. And, um, and I think that, uh, that's a pretty good catchphrase. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, Give tyranny a chest drive. The, what they've been doing over the last uh, over the last several years is is kind of um, you know kind of uh, bringing domestic politics into the realm of national security. We saw this with the Russia hoax, and uh, and and we're seeing it with this. It, it, they've got they've got two tracks. One is national security. The other track is health. And um, and you know they're going to uh, well, they're, and, and the complete collapse of the climate. I mean, the complete black collapse of. Uh... Of life as we know it. Sure. Okay. So three. So 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 three. I was. I thought net neutrality took care of that. I always get this wrong. Well, I'm not even. I mean, look, they don't even care anymore. That's the other thing about this. About this. Uh, you know. Okay. So the ACLU objects. The ACLU objects. I mean, at the end of the day, who cares? Um, do they care if if this is something they really want? If they feel that they're that they're on the cusp of achieving, um, uh, you know, what what they want, which is you know, let's say total information space dominance. Uh, do they really give a damn about the ACLU? Oh, in terms of in terms of optics, the ACLU saying what they said is of great political significance. It it, it already means that because there are a lot of people who let these organizations, which themselves stopped leading in terms of thought nonetheless do the thinking for them. So I think, you know, when we went to the Supreme Court on the Slant's First Amendment slash trademark case years ago. Knew that was going to come up. One, one, one amicus was allowed to uh, argue before the Supreme Court, and that was the ACLU. That's the stature that, that they still have 
in American culture and law. So that was very, very important. Um, and you know what else is going to come up? Everyone should follow Jeff Balaban, David Reboy, subscribe to all his uh, late Republic nonsense, which just so happens to be in the screen right here. Okay. Isn't that slick? That's pretty slick. That's slick. And you, you know, you have a little bit of the depth of field thing going. So it's fuzzy, but eminently readable. <laughs> and it's especially because no one's friends and it's very worthwhile. I'm saying this as you know, uh, an audience, whatever it is. Uh, subscriber, thank you, thank you. Subscriber, yes. I'm gonna subscribe as soon as we get off this call. As soon as we get off this live stream, I wanna thank the 14 people who, no, we had to be a little bit better than that for our inaugural. And we're gonna take a pound of flesh out of Will Chamberlain next week for his last minute cancellation. This was, I think we all know a lot more fun than it would have been with Will. Uh, but thanks everybody. Everyone have a good Shabbos. Good and, job. Uh, and please do subscribe to my podcast so that I'll have more subscribers. Thanks a lot, do guys. It. Thank you. See ya. Thank have you very good, much, guys. Uh, have a good job. Have a good weekend, Thanks. everybody. See you. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.